0: could take a seat for just a a second and and one of the things with Christmas that we can overlook many times is we so focus on the light the Christmas lights the, the lights at the Botanical Gardens or Toyota field with the trash pandas that many times we overlook that darkness is where light shines the brightest and when you think about the Christmas story there was 400 years of silence and darkness before Jesus came to be there was no prophet no voice from God, there was no move of God, it was complete silence. Almost just like in Egypt, where there was 400 years of bondage or slavery, it was like God was silent for 400 years. And many times when God is silent, we lose sight because we can't see what God is doing because we don't hear what God is doing. And one person said this way, they said, silence is God's first language. Silence is God's first language. I think when things finally get silent, we start to actually pay attention. When things get silent, our ears kind of get more in tune. In silence is to the ears what darkness is to the eyes. In one, you can't hear what God is doing, but the other, you can't see what God is doing. In many ways and many times, I think some of us go through seasons of the silence of God where we don't know exactly what God is doing. We can't hear God's voice. We can't see what God is doing. And many times in those situations, it's good to realize that in God there is no darkness, there is no silence. In Psalm 139, verse 11 and 12, uh, David is in this season that he's, he's worried that he's been removed from the presence of God. And he says this, he says that if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be like night. Meaning it's so dark in my life right now that even the daytime feels dark. That even in the brightest days, it still feels like nighttime. He says, but even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness as is light with you. Meaning that no matter how dark it may be, like David is saying, no matter how dark it may be, that God is light. And if God is with you, that he doesn't even comprehend darkness. He doesn't comprehend nighttime for everything about God is light. Everything about God Cuts through and breaks through the darkness of our lives. Dr. King said, "You can't see the stars without darkness." Meaning that in the darkness is where we finally see the stars. when I read that quote, it reminded me of years ago. Our kids were were young, and in the back of our, our house we were living in there was a high school, a local high school. And they had a practice soccer field and football field. It was just the flattest Bermuda backyard anybody's ever had. And we would go out at night and lay down a blanket, and we just lay down and look at the stars. And so my, great, or my grandfather, my mom's side, uh, taught physics and astronomy at a local community college. So he would take me outside and we'd look at stars. He'd show me the constellations. I was trying to create that. I remember with our kids, except I would point out things like, do you realize these same stars are the same stars Abraham looked at when God gave him the promise that he'd have descendants more than stars you could count? These same stars are the same stars that Jonah saw as he's on the boat fleeing God's presence. He saw as a glimmer of hope. These same stars, the same stars that, that Moses probably saw at nighttime when they were in the middle of the wilderness. These same stars, the same stars that led wise men to Jesus. And so I'm sitting there with these kids and this, I'm trying to create this really great fatherly moment. Look at the stars. And, and I told them, I was like, why don't you pick out your star and you can name your star whatever you want. So the kids are like five, three, and two or something like that. And, and so one of the kids says, I want to name my star strawberry shortcake. I was was like, we can't be a little bit more creative than that? And then one kid's like, I want to name mine He-Man or whatever the toy of the day was. But then one of the kids says, I want to name that star my star. I want to name it Las Maracas. So the context is Las Maracas was the Mexican restaurant we went to every single week. So then I realized my kids had an affinity for Mexican food so much they named their star after a Mexican restaurant. About that time, I saw a shooting star shoot across the sky. And every one of the kids, all four of them, saw it at the same time I saw it. If you've ever seen a shooting star before, usually one person sees it, the other three miss it. And I'm thinking, man, God in his providence, in his dark night, gives me a glimmer of hope that he's paying attention to my family. Like in the providence of God, he allows a shooting star to shoot across our perspective, so we have this moment together. And I think many times, no matter how dark it may be in your life, that God will give you a glimmer of hope through different shooting stars that shoot across your perspective. Maybe it's a friend that gives you an encouraging word. Maybe it's an answer to prayer in a small, minute way. Maybe it's a promise that God brings back to your attention. Maybe it's when you open up the word that there's a rainbow that speaks directly to you. It's those stars in the middle of the dark that give a glimmer of hope. Just like those wise men, God had been silent for 400 years. And all of a sudden, a star is giving them a glimmer of hope. In a dark night, and a dark journey, they're following a little small reflection of light to the promise that God had given them thousands of years before. So I want to tell you, no matter how dark it may be in your life, no matter how dark it may be in your marriage or your family, no matter how dark it may be in your finances, no matter how dark it may be in just your faith right now, there's always a God who says, behold the light. No matter how bright the light may be, no matter how small it may be, God is a God who's always breaking through the darkness to give hope to his children. And as long as you're paying attention in the dark, As long as you're paying attention to what God has said and what God has promised you, he'll give you these glimmers of hope, these shooting stars that shoot across the darkest nights of your soul, the darkest nights of your life, the darkest nights in your situation. God is a God who breaks through the darkness, who breaks through the silence to let us know that the darkness is not your story. It's only a small part of your story. It's just enough of your story that God can break through in the middle of the darkness. The darkness is not our story. It's only a part of our story. And every great biography, every great story has dark moments and dark seasons. And in John chapter 11, it says this, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Meaning when we all walk in the darkness, there's a greater chance of falling. There's a greater chance of injury. There's a greater chance of failure. There's a greater chance of mistakes. Um, and some of you this year, your kids will get toys for Christmas, and in our household especially, our kids aren't the greatest at putting their toys up. So there's been many times in the middle of the night, something will happen, and toy asks me to get up, and, and I'll get up and I'll start making my way to go solve the problem as, you know, dad and superhero. Only to find myself laying on the floor crying like a little bitty baby because I stepped on a Lego or stubbed my toe on a toy that was left out. And what's crazy is if the light was on, if I just turned the light on, I wouldn't have stubbed my toe or stepped on the godforsaken Lego. But I never cut the, the light on. And many times in there are seasons of our lives where we go through great pain, great frustration, great disappointment, great heartache, great suffering, and we don't need to. We go through those moments because we never actually turn the light on when you stub your toe when you get hurt the only response is to cry out and even when our kids were, were young you know me and toy used to fight over who would get up that times so we did the alternating schedule where if one of the babies started crying we'd say it's your turn and so I'd always try to pretend like I was still asleep because I didn't want to get up and deal with the babies I'm like well you know you're the mom like you know you take care of the baby no it's your turn Right? So you get up and you go deal with the baby, even though I was too tired to really want to get up. And you get up and you find the baby that's crying. And the problem with the baby crying is it's not telling you actually what's wrong. It's not saying I'm hungry. It's not saying I need my diaper changed. It's not saying I'm hurting. It's not saying I'm frustrated. It's not saying I'm tired. And so you look at this little baby and it's just crying out without being able to communicate what's actually going wrong. And so as a father, many times you're left frustrated because you can't solve the problem because you don't know what the problem is. Because as a dad, I would do everything in my power to solve the problem that's causing my babies to cry. And so I spend most of my energy trying to figure out what that is. And for us, it's the same way that God is a God who wants to solve the problems that cause us to cry. But many times we don't communicate, we don't express what those problems are and God is in this frustrated mode of, if you would just cry out to me, if you just pray and tell, if you just confess, I could move right into the situation. And tell you one person said, crying is how our heart speaks when our lips can't explain the pain we feel. Crying is how our heart speaks because our lips, our minds can't communicate this pain, this frustration, this agony, this suffering that's deep down. I can't express it. And so the only way I can let it out is just to to cry out, just like a baby. You think we, we grow 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, and we don't really grow up much more than we were when we were a baby, then we're really hurting and we can't explain it our language still goes back to crying out to God. The good news is God is a God who doesn't sleep. God is a God who doesn't get tired in the middle of the night. He's not a God who says, well, you know, I'm a little tired. Why don't you take this turn? Why don't you get up and take care of the cries of our children? Why don't we let somebody else? Christmas reveals that when God hears the cries of his people, he moves closer to their pain instead of farther away. Christmas is the story when people cry out, God doesn't run away from suffering. God doesn't run away from sin. God doesn't run away from darkness. God doesn't run away from shame. God doesn't run away from his children. He runs towards them. Like he wasn't satisfied with prophets and angels and messengers. He says, no, we need to go and find out what's causing our children to cry. He's a God that hears the cries, which you know, Psalms 34 says this. He, David speaks, that Sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. It's David, the king of Israel, the king who united all the twelve tribes of Israel together the great king that Israel still looks to as the greatest king of all time. This poor man, he says, a man rich with wealth, rich with territory, rich with kingdoms, rich with power, says this poor man cried out. And guess what? The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. This poor man cried out. David, if King David, a man after God's own heart needed to cry out meaning he didn't have the words to express God the pain I feel he didn't have the words to express what he was going through in the moment he didn't have the words to express his guilt or his shame or his worry or his anxiety or his depression or his stress or his he didn't have the words to communicate and so he just wept and wept and wept before his father in the same way, I believe there's many believers that were crying out to God before Jesus came to earth. They were crying out, God, this Roman empire is crushing us. Father, we're broken. We're weary. We're tired. We're ashamed. We're afraid. We're sinful. And they just started crying out to God and God moved into our suffering. God is a God who hears the cries of his people. The question would be, with you and God, is God a God who's waiting to hear your cry? Is he waiting to hear what's actually going on in your heart and in your life so he can move closer? Because sometimes all it takes is to cry out to God. When was the last time you cried out to God? When was the last time that you really cried out to your father? I need you. I need you in my heart. I need you. I'm going through it right now. I need you in my family. I need you in my marriage. I need you in my finances. I need you in my mind. I need you in my heart. I need you in my pain. I need you in my body. When was the last time you cried out to God? Because I promise you, God is a God who hears the cries of his people, and he moves closer to you when you cry instead of farther away. And I think as a people, as a nation, as a church, it's time we cry out again to our Father. God, we need you to come. Just like you came in the darkness in the first century, we need you to come into the darkness now. We need you to come. We need you to come and renew us again. We need you to come and save us again. We need you to come and restore us again, oh God. God, we need you to come. In every single way, we just need you to, if there's any prayer we have, God, just come. It's not a matter if Jesus comes or not. It's a matter if we recognize that he's come or not. And one of the things about surprises that are interesting is that many times if you're not looking for it, you won't recognize it last week, uh, Olivia, one of our worship team leaders, uh, her grandfather helped start Christ Chapel in 1979, Uh, she'd asked me if she could do a surprise graduation party for her boyfriend. Absolutely. It's a surprise. Don't tell anybody. Well, then I found out the week before, it's been reversed where it wasn't just a surprise graduation party for him because he knew about it. He was using it as a surprise engagement party for her. And my mind was blown. Like, the thoughts. And so all these pieces are being moved. And one of the things about surprise parties or surprises is there's a whole lot of preparation that takes place to make sure the surprise works. There's a whole lot of moving parts that have to be coordinated and details to pay attention to in order to make sure that it works. And when God decided to surprise the world by coming in the form of a human... There was a whole lot of planning and preparation that took place. Thousands of years. God planned. God revealed small portions of what it was going to be like, who he was going to be, how he was going to live, but also how he would be born. Over 300 messianic prophecies telling us who the Messiah would be was given before Jesus was actually born. Meaning all these plans and preparations were being built up as one big surprise for the world. One person, one scientist, mathematician in Texas tried to illustrate the probability of one man fulfilling all 300 of these prophecies. They couldn't even get to that number, so they did. What's the probability of one man fulfilling just 100 or 10 of these prophecies? So they did the probability, the statistics, And the only way they could explain it was this. They said, if you covered the state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep, and you took one silver dollar and you painted it red, and you threw that silver dollar in the middle of the state of Texas and then stirred the whole state up with all these silver dollars, and you randomly reached in and picked up one silver dollar and it had the red paint on it, that's the same probability of one man fulfilling just 100 of these prophecies meaning Jesus was the surprise Pope Benedict said it this way God is always faithful to his promises always but he often surprises us in the ways he chooses to fulfill them I, I can honestly state that I believe every promise that I believe God has ever given me has been fulfilled in my life or it's going to be fulfilled in my life yet None of them were fulfilled the way I thought they should be fulfilled. To be honest, I never thought a million years that I would be in Florence, Alabama to spend the rest of my life here. I didn't even know what Florence, Alabama was when the opportunity came. Because there was a promise that God gave me. It just came in a package that I didn't recognize. In Luke chapter 2 verse 1 it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was born of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. Everybody say swaddling cloths. She wrapped him, the promise, in swaddling cloths. Like many of you wrapping your Christmas gifts right now, you're wrapping them, you're covering them, you're packaging them. She wrapped the promise in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is crazy that the miracle, the promise of thousands of years of a Messiah, of a king, of a Lord, of a Savior, of a Deliverer, of a Redeemer, not just a King on earth, but a King of the universe, is coming in his package of a little young virgin teenage girl in a manger wrapped in cloths that were left over. It's almost like God says, Surprise! Here's the promise. It's just coming in a way that you wouldn't recognize. That God sent the greatest package, the greatest gift ever, in the most modest, humble package you could ever imagine. God brought heaven down to earth, but put it in a package that most people would not want. He brought his own son to earth in a package that most people would not want. Most people wouldn't look at it twice to open up to find out what the contents were. And the miracle of the story is you don't find out what the contents are until the cross when the package is fully opened and released for all of the world to receive the gift that God gave the entire world. And what's sad is so many people missed the surprise because they were looking for the wrong package. They were looking for a king to come and destroy Rome. They were looking for a powerful, authoritative figure to come and move the forces out of Jerusalem. They were looking for power and riches. But that's the way God works. Instead of coming the way you want him to come, he comes the way you need him to come. He didn't come through political power. He didn't come through the Supreme Court. He didn't come through the Republican Party. He didn't come through the Democratic Party. Even though that's where most of the people were looking and with their eyes to find out, where is the Messiah going to come? Where is the king going to come? Is he going to come through an Ivy League school? Is he going to come through a rich family? Is he going to come through? No, no, no. He came as a baby in a manger, wrapped in leftover cloths. Isaiah says it this way. Who has believed? What he has heard from us. And to whom has the Lord, the arm of the Lord, been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at. Meaning the package wasn't pretty. And no beauty that we should even desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and esteemed him not. Meaning they couldn't get to the contents because the package wasn't pretty. And I think God knows that what's inside the package is more important than what you package it with. That he knew the contents was the sinless, righteous, unblemished Son and Lamb of God who would be the eternal sacrifice to set his people free for eternity. He knew what the package contained, but he surprised us by bringing it in a package that the world despised and rejected. And so it's not a matter of God gives, it's a matter of you recognize what he's actually giving. And so Christmas should be a time that we actually slow down and recognize that in our life there's all these gifts of God. There's the gifts of my health right now. There's the gifts of my family right now. There's the gift of my faith right now. There's the gift of a a heritage that I have. There's the gift of a job I have right now. There's the gift of hope I have, the gift of love, the gift of joy. All these gifts, they're all gifts, but they're just packaged in many times packages that we reject or we overlook. Because God chose to send heaven down in a package that was wrapped in swaddling clothes. In a manger, there was no room for the king in an inn. By a young little virgin Mary that had no fame, no fortune, no followers, God chose to bring heaven to earth in a package that most of us did not recognize. When you think about it, heaven was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Heaven was laid in a manger. Mary took heaven and kissed heaven on the forehead. Mary took heaven and nursed him as a mother and child. Joseph took heaven and held him and showed heaven off to all his friends. As, this is my boy. Heaven came to earth. The only question is, do you realize heaven is here? Or are you so consumed with the packaging that you're missing the greatest gift God has ever given? You know, Christmas obviously means giving. We spend a lot of time figuring out what we're going to get, the people we love, our friends, our family, our kids, what they want or they need for Christmas. Christmas means giving. One person said this way, Christmas means giving. The father gave his son and the son gave his life. Without giving, there is no true Christmas. And without sacrifice, there is no true worship. Like, this, the, this is the one part of Christmas the world gets right. The world gets right, the giving spirit of Christmas. But I don't think they get the meaning behind the giving spirit of Christmas. Uh, years ago, I think it was 2009, 2010, we transitioned from a church staff. There some stuff going on. We wanted to remove ourselves from the situation. And we left. And we had four young kids I think they were eight and below was the ages of our kids. And it was a rough time. We had some savings. We were using that savings to kind of supplement our income at the time. I was working that night. toys was working the day. We barely got to see each other. And Christmas was coming. So we left in, uh, I think, August. And, and Christmas was coming. So we just planned on being very, very frugal for Christmas. That we're running through our savings. Let's, let's be as frugal as we possibly can be. And one day we came home. or Our toy came home. And she called me. And she was just weeping in tears. And she's weeping. I'm trying to cut through the tears. Guys, you may understand. When, you, when your wife is trying to tell you something she's excited about or upset about, it all sounds the same. So you don't know if you're in trouble or something really good happened. So I'm trying to figure it out and cut through the, the clutter. And she starts weeping. And says, so, so I'm not going to let you. I'm going I'm to let you see it yourself. So come home. One o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And as I'm home, in our living room is a fully, fully loaded Christmas tree with gifts for all of our kids there's a little pedal car john deere tractor for rj there's gifts for our girls there's clothes it's fully loaded and toys just weeping and literally there's a card that just said merry christmas from the spirit of christmas spirit of giving it was friends that had known how we try to stand in integrity and, and left you know our financial security to really rest in the grace of god and god recognized our need and used the spirit of christmas to encourage us but also to make sure we had everything we needed for our kids that is the spirit of christmas in matthew chapter 2 the wise men they're told by an angel that the messiah is here your king has arrived heaven is on earth. It's in a package you may not recognize. So when you go, you need to follow this star because you're not going to recognize the king because he's going to be packaged in a manger in swaddling cloths. And so as they begin their journey, they're not just going to see, they're going to give. They're not just coming to watch or observe the king or the child or the baby. They're coming to give something to this baby. It says, and he sent them to Bethlehem Then opening their treasures, they offer him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh." See, I believe we're in a day and age where we want to observe Jesus instead of worship Jesus. We want to observe the promises, the blessings of God, but the wise men didn't go and and just see Jesus. They didn't just want to go and watch Jesus. They want to get a picture and post it on Instagram. They wanted to go and give to Jesus. They realized this gift was from heaven, and their greatest response would be to give a gift back, even though it doesn't measure in comparison, to give a gift back. It says they knelt down and worshiped a baby, a baby who had never accomplished anything, a baby who had never had a career or degree, a baby who had never conquered anything. A king with no record, a king with no territory, a king with no accolades. They knelt down and worshiped him. A king that could give them nothing, yet they gave the king everything. Meaning, we don't worship Jesus for what he's done for us. We worship him for who he is. He is the son of the most high God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is our Redeemer, yes. He is our Deliverer, yes. He is our Healer, yes. But above all, He is God in the flesh. And He deserves our worship. He deserves our attention. He deserves our focus. He deserves our lives. He deserves our hearts. He deserves our worship. These three wise men, I don't know if they were wise before they came to see Jesus or they called them wise because they came and saw Jesus. I would probably recommend that they called them wise because they were the only three that actually went and beheld the light that came to earth. And they lay down, they worshiped him. But they didn't just worship empty handed, they gave this king three gifts. They gave him gold because gold is a gift fit for a king. At the time, it was the most precious metal of all metals. And they knelt down and they laid that gold at this manger. Can you imagine? You're literally laying in a barn. Your baby's in a trough, wrapped in leftover cloth, yet there's a brick of gold laying at his feet. Why would the wise men lay gold at the trough that this baby laid in? Because they weren't giving the baby gold because of where the baby lay. They gave the gift of gold because they recognized that he was royalty. They recognized that this baby is destined to rule and to reign, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Israel, But in our lives and throughout the entire universe, they laid down this gold, this precious gold at the feet of Jesus before he ever conquered anything. Then they laid down incense, frankincense, which is interesting because incense is a gift fit for a God. In every culture in the world, incense is what they burn in almost every single temple in the world. In Jerusalem, it was incense, frankincense they burn at the temple as a sacrifice or an aroma of praise unto God. And here they are laying down frankincense or incense at this baby's feet who's laying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. He doesn't look like a God, yet inside is the spirit of the Most High God. They were recognizing that this is God in the flesh. And the third gift they offered, which makes zero sense, was myrrh. Myrrh is used as an embalming herb or fragrance or spice. They'd mix it with olive oil and it'd become an embalming fluid for those who had passed away and had died. They'd literally use it to keep a body from stinking after it had died. And so you have these wise men who come bringing three gifts. Gold, we get that. Incense, that smells good, that's great. But myrrh? That would be offensive. If somebody brought to you, you have your firstborn baby, you're in the hospital. At the church, we, we usually try to celebrate babies here. We, we send a gift basket, and that gift basket is full of embalming fluid. Like, what kind of church do you go to? What kind of cult are you a part of yet that's exactly what they brought to jesus embalming fluid because they recognized that he was the savior of the entire world and the only way he could save the world would be to die for the world and from the moment he was born he was destined for the cross Because actually all of us, the moment we were born, we're destined for our own cross. Yet this baby, this package of heaven on earth, came to remove us from the cross and place himself down. So the question would be for you, are you one that just comes and observes Jesus? Are you one that just watches the King? Are you just going to see what he does in your life? Are you just going to see what he conquers or see what he does and then then determine if it's going to be a benefit to you to give your life to him? Or are you one that recognizes him and says, right now, I don't want to just watch you. I don't want to just observe you. I want to worship you and give you the gifts that are due to you. I want to give you my mind. You can have it. You can do with it as you please. Renew it. I'm going to give you my heart of stone. I ask that you give me a heart of flesh. Renew my heart. Give me a new spirit, oh God. God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm a living sacrifice to you. For you giving me everything. And I want to be a wise man and just offer you what I have. What gifts this Christmas are you offering, Jesus? You know, it's it's interesting in our culture. We celebrate everything. Like I remember when I was growing up, like birth, we were, we didn't have very much money. We didn't do birthday parties. We didn't do much stuff. It's very low key at all. And now, you know, you have not a, just high school graduation, you have middle school graduation, you have elementary school graduation, you have preschool graduation. You don't just have you know MVP trophies anymore. We celebrate if you participated on the team trophies. Like, we celebrate everything. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate graduations. We celebrate touchdowns. Into the glory of God, last night, I celebrated Mitchie decapitating that kid from Florida in the football game. I was like, Toy, well, you got to, we celebrate, and we know what happens? You usually reproduce what you celebrate. Whatever you celebrate is what you're going to see reproduced in your life. And in our culture, we celebrate all the wrong things. And as we celebrate the wrong things, we just see kind of this tidal wave of immorality that's rolling. Many ways we see the, the tidal wave of anxiety and stress and frustration because we're such a celebratory culture that everyone's looking for the next celebration. And my argument would be there's nothing wrong with celebrations. But we just got to make sure we're celebrating the right things. And the way you can know if you're celebrating the right things is you should celebrate what heaven celebrates. So if they celebrate it in heaven, we should celebrate it here on earth. If they don't celebrate it in heaven, then we probably shouldn't celebrate it here on earth earth, that our goal is to bring heaven down to earth. And so what I celebrate, I reproduce. Here's just real quick, three things that I see in scripture that they're celebrating in heaven. In Luke chapter 2 verse 13, this is the birth of Jesus. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising or celebrating God, saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When Jesus entered earth, when Jesus entered the room, when Jesus, the presence of God, came in the midst of people, all of heaven celebrated it. They moved angels from heaven down to earth and surrounded him with angels just to celebrate the birth of Jesus here on earth. Later, Jesus tells the story in Luke 15. He says, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends, talking about the lost son. His neighbor's saying to him, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be many more, much more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus saying, when people repent, all of heaven what celebrates why the purpose of jesus coming to earth is being realized in people's lives but the last one revelations five eleven, says that i looked and i heard around the throne of god and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and I heard every creature in heaven everybody say every not a silent voice in heaven every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and at the sea and all of them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever amen and then the four living creatures said amen and all the elders fell down and worshipped. god does not move in a quiet church There was not a creature that was silent in heaven or on earth. Now, some people will say, "Well, you know, I just like my church a little bit more quiet, a little bit more traditional." That's great. Heaven is not a quiet nor traditional place. Well, you know, I'm just I'm a reserved person. There are no reservations in heaven. It is all out worship well, I'm just a a quiet person. I don't really like this scene. Then you're not going to like heaven. Because heaven rejoices and celebrates with a multitude and a myriad upon myriad of voices simply proclaiming that Jesus is worthy. In the manger, they were singing, he is worthy. At his baptism, they were saying, he is worthy. At the cross, they were saying, he is worthy. At the resurrection, they were saying, he is worthy. And at the throne, at the end of times, when he comes back and brings everybody back home, they're still saying, he is worthy. He is worthy not just of me coming to church. He's worthy of my voice. He's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of my finances. He's worthy of my kids. He's worried. He's he's worthy of my health. He's worthy of whatever I have. He's worthy. I could never give him enough. See, right now, we can celebrate in dark moments and in dark seasons and dark situations because the light from heaven has come to earth. Like no matter how dark it is, like you still have a glimmer of hope because Jesus has come. And Christmas is this moment, this season, that no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter how dark it is, you can still stand and celebrate that Jesus has come. John eight twelve says it again. Jesus spoke to them. Say, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will have the light of light. We can celebrate in every situation on earth because Jesus came to show us the way to heaven. Like I've never lost. I, I know which way to go. Whichever direction I may be in, as long as I turn and I find Jesus, I know which direction I'm supposed to be walking in. I was sharing with him. Oral Roberts had a picture of his son with him when he was a teenager. And in the picture, he had a quote. He said he told his son, follow me as long as you can see Jesus over my shoulder. Follow me as long as you can see Jesus over shoulder my shoulder. Meaning I want my kids to follow me as long as they can see Jesus over my shoulder. I want the church to follow me as long as they can see Jesus over my shoulder. Meaning I will never be lost as long as I find Jesus. But I can also rejoice and celebrate in dark seasons because I know Jesus that same baby that was in a manger is coming back. But he's not coming in a manger. He's coming on a white horse. The first time he came as an innocent, blameless, pure baby. The next time he comes as a conquering warrior king. So I have hope and I have joy and I can rejoice now because I know no matter how dark it gets in the world, this is not the final victory. This is not the final story. The darkness may be part of the story, but it's not the story. Then my hope is that Jesus has come, but Jesus is coming again. And I think one of the things we talked about this year over and over and over again is we have to get back to a theology of the return of Jesus because the Bible says that is our blessed hope. And that's my hope. That I can celebrate right now, no matter how bad it is, because I know Jesus has saved me. He has saved me from the darkest sin I've ever committed in my entire life. He's also saving me He's renewing me. He's making me more like Jesus every single day. But also know I will be saved that no matter what I'm going through, this is not the final outcome that Jesus, my king, my savior, my deliverer, my hope, my promise, my love, my joy is gonna come back and take me home with him. You know what that means? No believer is ever, is ever, Without a reason to celebrate. Ever, no believer, no Christian is ever without a reason to worship. so this holiday season, this Christmas season, what if we trained our minds and our lives instead of looking at the Christmas season as one of Jesus came? What if we start looking at it as Jesus is coming? What if we start looking at every one of these packages as a sign, as a symbol that Jesus is coming back again? How much more would you celebrate? How much more would your hope be full? How much more would your joy be full if you were looking at Christmas as a sign that this is not forever? That Jesus is coming back again. Maranatha. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus.